0: Keep the music flowing we will be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So, check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media.
1: I'm in a weird posture because I'm in the corner of the train car that I like to work in, and uh, I ran out of batteries. So, uh a so I'm wedged, wedged into a corner.
0: Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks so much for making your way here and checking out the uh, series. Uh, Please do hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with all the interviews that I put out every single week. Three brand new ones, a new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to keep you up to date on your favorite artists, discover some new ones, and know what's happening in the music world. Of course, you can subscribe at places like iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, npr youtube for the video versions or anywhere you get your podcasts from i'm kyle merritt today once again talking with david de we're gonna catch up to uh hear all about his brand new record gestureland and the many influences that are evident on this third album uh, the actor author musician puts the spotlight on neil young youtube buffalo springfield csny and paul mccartney as favorites and even shares his appreciation for a good cowbell placements Uh, We're also going to get a quick update on his uh, current film and TV projects, including the upcoming Amanda Peet series, The Chair, which is going to be on Netflix, and his hopes to do a full-on America tour at some point. So let's do this discussing Gestureland. It's Kyle Meredith with David Duchovny.
1: Hi. Yes, for real. We talked about it in the abstract last time, didn't we? That's right. Uh, You
0: just released the uh, the single Lane on the Tracks uh, during the election season that... Seems sort of like a million years ago, and not so long ago at all.
1: So. Amazing! Uh, I think time has uh, has officially changed its nature in the mm-hmm. last few years. So, I think I, somebody has to call Einstein and figure it out. Right. It's a new. It's a new equation. It's a, yeah. It's true.
0: But uh, of course, in that conversation, we were talking about. We were talking about this record that you've been working on called Gestureland. It's here now. Uh, I'm such a fan of so many of the songs on the record right here uh let, let's start out with the uh with the uh, the newest single too because you get this one out of here uh with um with nights are harder nights are harder these days i don't know if you do the whole yeah. thing right there just yeah. this massive guitar sound like when i first heard it, it was like oh there's some neil young stuff
1: yeah, yeah. going on that, on here yeah yeah it was just uh i i wrote that song and then uh i didn't write that riff which i love and uh uh, uh, Pat, not Pat McCusker, and I, guitarist in the band, we were just talking about you know touchstones for the sound, and I was like Neil Young and Crazy Horse and 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 Zuma and 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 like uh, Cortez the Killer is one of my favorite songs of all time. You know nothing like like Nights Are Harder, but that kind of just just a guitar, just just that kind of muddy, fuzzy, guitar, and then he came up with that riff, and I was like, yeah let's just, let's just pin the song on that and let's just drive it, drive it forward. You know?
0: Yeah, no, you definitely, they, they, that sound was nailed. In fact, after I got to listen to the record, I had to immediately put on a Neil Young record. I put on <laughs> mirror ball and just played that one all the way through. Like yeah,
1: like uh, you are like a hurricane or, or C- cinnamon girl, even I, uh, you know, just, just these classic earworm type riffs that, uh, Neil Young was doing back in the seventies and, and, uh, I'm really interested in those riffs, like Start Me Up or whatever. Just like, I love like riffology. I'd, like, I'd love to like go to a course. I'd like to learn a course. Like, what is it about certain riffs that are just, just get in there? And, uh, you know, certainly uh, I I don't know how to do them or, or, or I haven't read them, but, you know, Pat's come up with a couple that I really like. And uh, that's, that's one of them.
0: It's the time where the guitar really gets to take over, uh the melody parts like I, you know i talked to some guitarists who of course been at it for decades and and were in their younger days that seemed to be the thing they were all about the riffs and for some reason it seems like a lot of guitarists as they get older will switch over more to chords and i know there's a lot more you can do with chords especially when you get into the mathematics and the, and the jazz the whole thing but yeah i mean you're right when you get a good riff something you can sing along to you know those yeah. are the perfect ones
1: yeah. yeah and there's a certain kind of uh you know, there's also space within the riff, you know, it's, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, You think of like great EC, ACDC riffs, there's air in them, you know, it's not just, it's not just like a driving riff and, and there's something about the, I don't know, like you get inside it, like you get inside that riff. And this is one too, like Pat, like, you know, it's like boom, boom. And then there's like a a little air and then it's like back and it's, you know, if, if, if you watch him play it, it's like it's also the strumming pattern is cool because he's like he's hitting the chord from from the bottom up, you know, and it's just a slightly different chord that way, you know, it's just to me it works so yeah. you know I, it's, it's cool what it does.
0: Well, and, and I should do the compliments to what you're also doing there with the lyrics, too, because because you've got what every songwriter, I think a lot of songwriters at least want. And it's that turn of phrase, you know, like the old country singers were so good at that. Yeah. You know, nights are harder these days. I mean, that's right. the flip right there. Yeah. I, and I don't know. Is that something you you actually seek out when you're looking for lyrics or something like this? Or, or you know, like everything else, is that just something that kind of comes when it comes?
1: Comes when it comes. I recognize that what it does. Like uh hard day's night, obviously is the the memory for me, you know it's like, oh, that's you know kind of short circuits you a little bit you know, in a good way uh, and that's I think that's what a good riff slash lyrical riff does, you know it's just like turn something upside down, and uh, I don't know where, where, when that when that phrase came to me, um, but I recognized immediately. That I could, that I could write a song around that around that idea, you know.
0: Does it? At least the way I'm hearing it, I'm asking this question. Does it sort of pick up where we left off with "Laying on the Tracks"?
1: Yeah, in a way, it's written around that same time. But you know, whereas "Laying on the Tracks," you know, I kind of put it out there as, a, as as a political song, but it's also a personal song. I mean, if you look at the lyrics, it's like the singer's trying to take responsibility for some of this stuff it's not just like oh there's that bad guy there it's also like the part of me that needed love that put me in certain places and and made me do certain things that weren't kind um the the part of me that turned away it's 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 not it's not the part about what's out there it's the part inside me the part of me that turned away i had to i had to turn around you know because you're your pain is my suffering, you know, it's, it's like, I can't look away. If I look away, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty, you know? So to me, yeah, I kind of pinned it out there as a protest song because of course it names check, name checked the president, but in a way, but um, you know, to me it was, it was, it was never just like, Oh, bad guy there. It was also like, Hey, not great guy here. And um, uh, nights are harder. You know, it kind of, it kind of tells a story about a friend who kills himself. And then, and then it's about the singer who's being visited by people that he's wronged. And then uh, it's just like the chorus would be just like, generally nights are harder these days, I think for everybody. And that's the way, you know, that's the way it kind of felt at the time. But again, it's like trying to, in the song, reach out in some universal way. Nights are harder for all of us these days, but also, Take some responsibility, and also have some empathy for someone who, who may have, uh, you know, checked out permanently because of these kinds of feelings.
0: I mean, all the best songs right there—the ones that speak on, you know, those those multi levels. I mean, of course, how I was hearing it, you know, was was not exactly how you were writing it, and. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, th- I think you were saying that in the um, the press sheet or the bio or something about when you, when you said, you know, these aren't about me, these are, these are about you in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a handful of the songs on here I was able to really apply. Uh,
1: I try, you know, yeah. that's, that's, that's like my, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like trying to write uh, breadcrumb songs that are going to lead you to some kind of confession or, you know, some kind of a celebrity, you know, real life event or whatever. I'm really, I, I, I'm really not interested in that kind of, that kind of a, a song. My, my enterprise is always like, all right, I'm feeling these things. I, I'm, I'm not the only one, but maybe if I can phrase them in a certain memorable way, maybe it can release something. Maybe I can, I can have a bridge. Uh, maybe, maybe we can, maybe we can get people to sing along because it means something, you know, to them. And if I get too specific, that's not going to happen because I do love the song David Duchovny, Why Don't You Love Me by Brie Sharp, but I think it's got a limited reach. you know. <laughs> so it's like it's like that. It's like, I, I don't want to limit it. I want it to, I want it to expand out.
0: Yeah, I th- to me, one of the best examples on this subject that I always think of is the U2 song Pride. You know, mm. here, here you have one of the most universal choruses of all time, you know, Pride in the Name of Love. Yeah. And then when you get to those the verses i mean talk about though getting specific you know monday morning april 4 you know i mean he's right down to the date and the spot and everything and i know we're talking about you know historical context yeah. here and that song and everything but but to kind of be able to play around with that to be able to do something that you know is very specific and personal to you but still have that spot like that's that's a really hard trick to pull off as a songwriter
1: yeah i mean that that's a that's a great example it's such a, a great song and you know, what he's doing there is exactly what you say in the verses, but in the chorus, you really get the feeling he's seeing about himself. You know, it's about a, one man, you know, the, the verses are all about like universal love, love for, for, other, for, for mankind and, and people that have sacrificed and been sacrificed because of, because of love like that. Uh, agape, I guess. You know, like the love, not, not sexual love, uh, not possessive love, but somehow in, in, in the in the choruses that kind of comes in. It's like one man, you know, it's one man's love there, you know, one man. And th- that's a neat trick. You know, that's hard to do. I, you know, I was thinking about, I think when we were talking about laying on the tracks, so I was always thinking about other protest songs, like For What It's Worth, you know, that song, which was also very specific. I mean, he's talking about something happened in L.A., you're carrying signs over there whatever um, you don't need to know because uh, the chorus is just, it just breaks out of those specifics somehow. And that's why that song is in every movie you ever see, you know, it's like somehow they were able or Ohio, you know, oh, to me, I was
0: i was thinking about Ohio when you were saying that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. To me, Ohio, I think the trick in Ohio is, is the riff. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just,
0: Absolutely.
1: that's a fuck. It. That's a, and that's Neil Young again. So that's just like, uh, I think they could have put any any words on that and that would have worked. But the fact that it is a protest song so specifically about one day, one incident, and yet it's able to to branch out, you know, it's just a magic trick. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, while we're giving praise to, uh, to Neil Young, I, I, for the quick second here, at the end of Cinnamon Girl, he throws in that, Extra riff. Nah, 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 nah. For the my entire life that I've known that song, I've I've been like low key upset that he wasted that riff because that's such a cool little throwaway thing he's doing. That I was like, you could have done a whole song off of that one, man.
1: Yeah, I feel that way about Paul McCartney all the time. Like, like he has like five songs in one song. You know, sometimes it's almost like he overburdens the song with. He's such a melodic genius that. He doesn't know how good it all is, and that it's worthy of a whole song. But like, what's that song? We're so sorry, Uncle Albert. It's got, it's got three different sing along melodies in it, and each one of those is a song. And somehow the song doesn't work as well because it's too good. You know, there's too many good things in it. And I understand your feelings about that that riff. I wonder what Neil Young would say about that. I, I've also felt that you know don't fear the reaper is one of my favorite it's not really a riff it's more like a a picking riff you know that but the bridge i always hated the bridge you know where it goes and it's just because because this it's so melodic and haunting and then it just it just smacks you in the face for like eight bars and I go back and forth between like loving it because it just, it's like, it lulls you into this dream and then it smacks you right out of it. Or just like, oh, why? why that, That's a different song, you know?
0: There's um, the, the, the 90s uh, horror film, uh, Scream. Uh, yeah. It was Scream 1 or Scream 2, I don't remember, but there's a, an acoustic version that somebody did. It's just a like Gus, I don't know who it was. I've never seen that artist again, but Gus did an acoustic version. There's no bridge. And it slowed down mm. it's just a it's such a good version of that song if you're a
1: right i mean it's well i mean then there's the snl skit but oh of, sure uh, right right <laughs> more cowbell i love the cowbell in fact i said i say cowbell sometimes i say i need a cowbell in the song i'm not sure they listen to me i know they put it on last first time there's like a there's a cowbell on that but i love a good cowbell song and mind of winter i was like i, I want to separate there's like a verse and there's like two pre-choruses. It's a strange little song. So the verse is pretty much just drums and me. And then there's a the first pre-chorus where another instrument accompanies me. And then there's the second pre-chorus that originally was just like the first pre-chorus. And I was like, we gotta like differentiate. Let's, let's just put the hand claps in there. So we just added some hand claps and I was like, okay, now I'm satisfied
0: that gets that head bob going i know what you're talking about in that song and let me say you know yeah bringing that attention back to the gesture land here uh so i think my favorite song on here is uh uh everything is noise yeah to the point where i've now played that in the house i don't know dozen two dozen times or something my wife walked in she goes, what is that it's it's one of those moments you know the sound from another room what is that song <laughs> oh it's oh it's david company's new song it's it's everything is noise on on the record it's like oh yeah that's a good one. That's a really good. It's like, yeah, that's what I'm thinking about putting in rotation here on FBK in Louisville. Like that's that's going in. Nice. Like it had a little bit we were trying to figure it out. I was like, what does it remind you of? Because there's something there. A little bit of Bell and Sebastian, a little bit of the National. She said that in there. I don't know what's going on, but you've made as far as really somewhat simple pop songs go like this. (laughs) That's a perfect example right there.
1: Yeah, that was uh, 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 Keenan O'Mara in the band. That was brought. We wrote that one, and um, he kind of that's the that's the only song where I kind of laid off the lyrics, um, and uh, he wanted me to like you know change lyrics or like make them whatever more something, and I was like, no, I wanna I wanna like sing sing it this way, you know, and uh, I just that song, I love the sentiment of it, you know it's kind of like to unpack it. It's like every it's fucking it, like, everything's noise, like, give me what you got. And then there's also kind of a beautiful resignation in it, which is like, I'm here, you know, like I'll, I'll withstand it. It's not, it's not, I'm quitting. And then Keenan brought like, Keenan has this wonderful high voice, I mean, he's got an amazing voice and it's really high and it's not a falsetto. And, uh, he did that thing at the end with like the those kind of choral circling uh ooze, and I was like, "Let's just have like three minutes of that you know they're like, no, nah, no, nah. I wanted to start the song with that because the start of that song was always a puzzle to figure out because it starts with the is singing it's like it, there's no intro, it's just I was breaking through you know that's, and I think. Pat McCusker put like a little synthesizer pad on the front of it. And I was like, that feels cheap. You know, it's like, in a way, it's like sometimes when you do that, if a song starts hard, you want to give the listener just like a little heads up that a song's about to start rather than bang, here's the song. And uh, so we're trying to figure out how to, how do we start this song? That's not like, holy shit, a song just started, you know? Uh, so I think we just have like, we have this one, like half a beat before it's like, boom, I was breaking through this, you know, it's like, and uh, I just love the way it starts that way because there's no, there's almost no warning. I forget it was, oh, when we did Stranger in the Sacred Heart, um, it starts with uh, Pat, like this little pick rift that goes, and it's high and I was like, oh man, I get, I jump every time that song starts because I, there's no warning. It's just like, ding! It's it's on me. So I was like, can we prepare the listener? You know. <laughs> so I think we have like, we have the sticks. We're just like one, two, three, four. You know,
0: just enough, just back. enough to get in there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. this was
1: another one like that. It was like, I don't want people to have a heart attack. You know, like all of a sudden. <laughs> But yeah, I love that song too. And, and, uh, I look forward to writing more with Keenan. you know, cause it's, it's definitely a different sensibility.
0: Just a great little pop song in that way. And, uh, and I, I, know we're running out of time here. Two things. Um, are you planning on touring this? I'm, I'm guessing that's coming up as well.
1: So don't have anything specific cause you know, the world is still, uh, figuring it out. Um, and, uh, you know i'd love to be out there right now but obviously no but yeah that's the plan you know and the plan would be you know we really haven't done an american like a full american tour you know not nothing crazy like months long kind of a thing but would love to play more in america we played east coast west coast but i'd love to play everything and then we have played europe a couple times and uh, i'd like to go back there but i I really look forward to, you know, some of these songs I think are going to be just really fun to play live. Like, like nights are harder, like laying on the tracks, you know, just like, just like wall noise.
0: Well, I don't know how you would fit a full two month, three month tour into the schedule that you've uh, had for yourself lately. You know, I'll quickly point out, I know the reservoir is out. The the bubble is on the way with Apatel. You've got uh, truly like lightning, uh, I guess, is eventually going to hit at the, at some point. I so.
1: the... I, I haven't, we haven't started, uh, you know, we don't have the green light yet to, to, Shoot, you know we're still in the development stage, but I'm I'm optimistic and um, my heart is really set on that. I really want to to make that show. So I'll be sorely disappointed if I if I can't. I feel like I'll be able to. Um, we'll know pretty soon, um, and that 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 would then dictate you know my right. touring schedule.
0: Well, I, I'm in it for all, and uh, you know, hearing how all of these cross over in some way, I'm always interested when any artist puts together this many different projects and you know starting looking for like ooh, is is the is the book part of the album? Is the album part of the show? You know, do do you find those crossover moments?
1: Well Chris Carter was kind enough to to have a cover done of Unsaid Undone, which is from the Hell or High Water album. And he put that on the X Files. He had like a a punk version of that on the X Files. And I understood why it would be weird to have a voice that sounded like Baldur's singing on the soundtrack of of the x-files so yeah that would have been too meta for me anyway but um uh i did uh, uh an episode of my friend amanda pete's uh show it's coming on netflix it's called the chair and um they they i think they're going to use mind of winter in in that in that uh in that <clears throat> which is cool uh really cool and then uh you know i've always kind of fantasized about like placements and movies and stuff like that, that that i wouldn't be in that it would just be like a musical placement um but i do feel like if one layers too much of oneself you know eh, fuck you you know it's like <laughs> there there are plenty of great songs that i could use on a truly like lightning uh, series uh without yeah, using my own do
0: whatever you want man it's your life you know it's your thing <laughs>
1: oh no, you're right you're right it is it is to quote uh, to quote song on the album it's just playing at the same dream right none of this is real it's just some dream we're all having right so why not yeah
0: that's a great sentiment to wrap it up on right there too david it's always a pleasure talking to you thank you so much congrats on gesture land i'm so much enjoying what you're doing
1: likewise thank you take care bye
0: Download the free Anchor app right now, or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. That was just last year that uh, David and I last spoke. Uh, that's when we were discussing the single, laying on the Tracks, that led into this new record, Gestureland. Uh, we got to hear about being inspired by the book Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, and how daily politics have been a, a fairly new part of his life. Uh, so all that and, and so much more. Uh, I'll include it here once again. Part two of Kyle Meredith with David Duchovny.
1: Hey, how are you? So we're talking
0: about new music uh, from your land. Uh, not quite the album yet, but we do have a new single and that's called "Laying on the Tracks. And this is this is leading to the album, though, right? The, uh, the what, third
1: LP? Yeah, third album. We're uh, calling it Gestureland and... Uh... I'm not sure exactly when it's coming out because everything's been thrown into disarray obviously because of uh, COVID and, and uh, we, we, were cu- we were pretty much done with uh, the bulk of it almost uh, 10 months ago. But uh, you know we, we had to record harmonies, background vocals, and other instrumentation, which has obviously taken quite a while. Um, but uh, you know I've been been raring to share it for for a long time and I'm excited when <laughs> it will eventually come out.
0: I think that's that's just kind of the thing for everybody. I mean, it's, you know, we're all like eventually, sometime, maybe. I, yeah, I think that's most, a lot of my uh,
1: most of the interviews you, you'll hear are like, "Oh yeah, I don't really remember what we're talking about. I I, I did that ten years ago. Uh, right. It's Coming out now, oh cool. Yeah, well, I hope you <laughs> like it."
0: Well, I, you know, to get at least a little preview on the rest of the record, you, you have given it the album title "Gestureland." What what exactly is that?
1: it was kind of just like i was i was trapped in my home like uh, like everybody this spring and and summer and i just was noticing you know that there there there's a kind of not not virtue signaling but just signaling like there was a kind of there were all these signals going on all these kinds of t-shirts and and and, and everything and i was just like well that's all great uh i'd like i'd like to make real change you know and stop just just making gestures. So um, I'm hoping for real change. Now putting out an album and hoping for real changes, is, is just a gesture, right? So I'm, I'm guilty as well, but um, I, I just had this experience of kind of almost a feeling like a, a drift and, and not even understanding some of the gestures that I was seeing, but being aware that they were gestures and feeling like we were living in a, a gesture land.
0: I, I don't know. I think I might argue your point a little bit there, that uh, putting out an album is only a gesture because, I mean, with the idea of music, I know for a lot of songwriters, it is hoping for that connection and that connection leads to real change. And maybe I'm missing your point a little bit, but I, but I see it, this as being very active when you're putting out a record in, in you know, that, that, that you want to have to say something.
1: I agree. I mean, I guess, you know, people say, in the sense that people say, it's the gesture that counts, right? It, it's, it's an attempt. It's an attempt to reach, and and I, and I guess in that sense, yes. Um, I I would rather live in a world where people were still at, at least making the gesture to to touch one another, or to reach one another, or to sway or argue with one another. You know, um, I was just I was just having a feeling of just being like drowning in, in so many different kinds of gestures uh, over over a certain period of time that I I just got kind of scared. You know, almost as if like. You know, I didn't know the language anymore. It was like that.
0: Well, You get this um, definitely very poignant on, on this first single, this teaser track that we have called Lay It yep. on the Tracks. And this is something, I mean, y- you have political songs. Maybe it's like Dylan or, or maybe it's like Rage Against the Machine. But I, I know that this was written earlier in the year, as I've read and everything. Uh, but at, at some point, you're going to have to figure out how the song, I don't know, for you, is it on your mind, does it have to speak to right now, or did you try to make it to where it's gonna live beyond you know, the election cycle?
1: Well, my intention is always to try and write something that's gonna be timeless, so that it's it's going to be, I mean, my, my, my process, I guess, or just my, my instinct when I'm writing a lyric is to make it universal, but vague, you know, in some way that can plug in for anybody, whether it's, the emotionality of a a breakup or a love song or, you know, vague political unrest like in in this song, you know, so that it's not just tied to a moment, but tied to a feeling.
0: There's a, there's a line in there and that's probably my favorite in it. Uh, There's a part of us that's always been at home in the blood. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And that, that part to me is not very vague because that, that is saying something about our, our history. Like, you know, that's, I mean, um, the part of us that's always, I mean, it's not like this is a new situation, I guess. Is that
1: what you're saying? It is what I'm saying, but I'll tell you uh, quite honestly that, and, and I know what I was thinking of when I wrote that line, I wasn't even writing that line about America. I, I, you know, I read like so many people, I read Sapiens like five or six years ago, which is like a history of, of homo sapiens, of our, of, of people, you know? on this planet. And it's a devastating kind of an account of, of our of our nature, you know, and, and the destruction and the violence that we've brought throughout the, throughout time. And I was kind of thinking about us as, as a species more than even us as Americans. So that just tells you the process of my songwriting is really, I'm sure I was thinking about America too, but like I know in my mind, that book so profoundly um, affected me uh, in terms of our behavior uh, as as a species um, throughout all of human history. So uh, that's kind of where I was at. So yeah, it was like uh, that part of us has always been, you know, from the time we 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 splintered off from from some of the other primate DNAs. You know,
0: there is um I, I'd wondered you know, going into this, I think we've all become even more political. And I've always, I mean, it's always been a big part of my life, the, the interest. I saw the picture you posted of, uh, I think it was your mom, a uh, 90-year-old mom uh, waiting in the rain to vote. <laughs> was was this, I mean, uh, did you grow up, I mean, very political in that, in that kind of nature? Was that always a part of your all's?
1: No, I, I would, I would say that's probably the first time my mom has voted. Yeah, my mom is from Scotland. She's an immigrant. And uh, I, you know, I don't believe really she's ever voted before. And uh, she, she was just uh, moved this time around to uh, go on record as well. So um, I did not grow up in a political household. My mother was a school teacher and wasn't political. My father, uh, my father was political, but not, how do I explain it? I guess he's a liberal Democrat, you know, he, he wrote a, a play called The Trial of Lee Harvey Oswald, which was about the assassination of Kennedy. He was interested in less in in the workings of politics and more in like social social thought, I guess, cultural thought. So in that sense, I guess I grew up aware of great movements that might be happening in the country, but not in terms of like mm, grassroots stuff or even, you know, my father had a real healthy hatred for Nixon. I remember that, but he wasn't. He wasn't like a, enamored of the Kennedys either, you know. So it, he wasn't like a, a reflexive kind of a political follower. So, uh, yeah. So no, I, I the, the kind of all-consuming attention on on politics is very new to me, and and, uh, and and I I can't say that I like it, but you know, it's part of my life now. That I, I wake up, I wake up every morning, and I I look and see what the fuck happened yesterday, which is crazy because life used to not. Be a day by day proposition like that. Right. It was four years by four years, or a month by a month, or a year by year. But it was certainly now it's hourly. It's hourly, and I. That's a. It's not just all on Trump's doorstep. It has to do with the fact that we have this technology too to be able to check in. But it's tough to to have your own mind.
0: Well, us a so so with you know what's left to hear from Gestureland, which is the entire record beyond laying on the tracks. Yeah. I mean it. Is there more of that on there? I mean, is would you call this a political album? Does it still kind of take on everything?
1: Oh, let me let me get back to like a little bit about why Gestureland, because I haven't been asked that before because I haven't been talking about it, but I think also I was responding to kind of the way way one is forced to communicate through Twitter and through uh, social media, which is uh, in symbols and signs and quick kind of pops, and that it kind of precludes deep thinking in a way in favor of throwing out marks of affiliation. And I found that to be dangerous and unsettling. So I think that's more of where I was coming from. Um, so what was that last question as I... <laughs> well,
0: well, I was asking if that, you know, if this song is really representative of the rest of the record, I mean, do, do you go further down that, that path?
1: I think less uh, specifically, like, you know, I have a line, a stupid orange man and a cheap red hat. I mean, I can't get much more pointed than that. Well, that that rhymes. I could have continued on. But uh, I don't have lines like that. Um, You know, I don't have lines where you allegorically go, you know, this is about that or or, this is about something else. You know, there's a there's a share of love songs or of, uh, you know, existential songs. I don't know what else to call them. I mean, it's like. Every time, you know, every time I write a song, it's like it's a different person writing that song. And it just kind of has the has the point of view of that guy who's me nominally in that moment. But there's there's less of a through line of like, oh, this is this is a 2020 group of songs that are, are addressing where our country is or the election or something like that.
0: So with three albums in and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I did read at one point like. It's not like you've been writing songs all of your life. Like this is still sort of what, like 10 years or something like this. Do you find, are are you feeling like you're finding your voice? Because usually when you start, a lot of us, you know, whether you can hear it in the song or not, we're kind of imitating someone. But three albums in, I would think that you're really starting to find that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because... The the guy that I work with, Brad Davidson, he's been working in the music business a long time. And he says, you have your whole life to make your first album and then like six months to make your second. Right. So it's uh, I think songwriting to me has come in uh, a few separate bursts. Uh, The First one was the most the longest because I just I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know I'd never written a song. So all of a sudden I started just writing songs, you know, and then. There was a period after that that I thought I should really continue to write songs, you know, because nobody was saying, you know, you must write songs. And I didn't have to write a song to eat or anything like that. So there was no external pressure on me to write a song. And there wasn't necessarily that much time. So I really had to at some point tell myself, now I've got to write some songs because I won't write a song unless I write a song. (laughs) Uh, Like today, I could probably write a song, but I probably won't. I won't sit down and write a song. And that's the kind of, that's kind of the way I that's kind of the way I do it. At first it was like gotta write these songs. I've never written any. God, they're all there. they're all waiting. And then it was like, yes, and I think you're right. I think what happens is like after that first batch comes through that it's like more measured, more kind of like well who who am I as a writer really? you know what what you know I can relax a little bit because I'm not like, oh my God, it's happening. It's like, oh yes, it could it could be there. If I if I if I take some steps out to meet it, now, uh, we could have a song. And usually, I uh, I'm pretty good at knowing like when I have a song. And then at first, I used to just try to complete it on my own, you know, because I wasn't recording. And then um, now it's more of a collaborative effort where you know I'll, I'll get my band involved earlier so that it, it's more of a more of a group group effort.
0: Well, I'll compliment your sense of melody. It reminds me quite a lot, I was thinking last night of Jeff Tweedy, because thank you. it's, yeah, yeah. it's not like you're, you don't come in with this chorus that's just, you know, what whatever, Rocket Man or something like that, you know, it, it's almost this subtle thing that you realize like, oh my, you know, after you've heard it second or third time, it's like, hey, wait a second, this is really catchy, you know, in there. I think that's a that's a really good trick.
1: Well, thank you. I mean, I, I think part of it is probably, you know, limitations being uh you know my friend you know like i i i would never write the chorus to rocket man because i can't sing it you know i was like so <laughs> that that might it might happen if i was with the band and i'd say to colin who's got who's got a far greater range than me i'd say i'm hearing it up here you know can you get there you know but if i'm sitting alone I, i'm not going to do that but yeah i mean i, I thank you i i, I think that I love melody. I mean, I, I've always loved a nice melody and, uh, I certainly love Jeff Tweedy and guys like, uh, Patty, you know, just very kind of, um, not straight ahead, but like, uh, and it's simple as the long word too, but just like real rock and roll type. Catchy. First time you hear it, you know, it's nice to, it's not a complicated memory. You can kind of memorize it first time through You know,
0: it's all in there. I know that's not the only thing you're working on. And when you, when you talk about, you know, today you might not write a song. Like, I'm not surprised in that because I want to bring up a few of the outside of music things that you've got going on, right, too. Yeah. Uh, you've got another novel on the way. Truly Like Lightning.
1: Yeah, I got I got the galleys right here. Look at that. It's Beautiful. A, it's a nice cover. Beautiful. That's, yeah. uh,
0: I think I've, that's coming out in February, right? Yeah. February of the uh, coming year. Now, I, I do find, like... Of course, I, obviously, I don't have the book, so I'm, I'm going on, you know, what is out there so far. But I do find there is seems like a connection, even when we listen to the song laying on the tracks versus kind of what you're getting at in the book, too, because I think the quote I got offline here, how we make sense of right and wrong in a world of extremes. This mm. seems like further on down that path as we were talking about, you know, just the yeah. inundation that we've been faced with.
1: Well, it's it's fascinating to me if 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 no one else on the planet but I, I do feel like um, if you can speak universally enough or poetically enough then your work has a chance to to wait for its moment because you know ultimately I don't think the moments that we have as humans are all that different from epic to epic right they're, they're gonna you know, it's different dress it's different time we, we might look a little different but you know love hate anger revenge i mean it's all it, it's not a huge smorgasbord of of, of shit that we go through as humans which i think is wonderful and they and, and the artists are the ones that try to interpret that so as you said um or as we were talking earlier if, if, if you can kind of rise above the specifics of it and somehow encode the feeling in there then all of a sudden it becomes appropriate in many different epics and situations. And what I found when I, I, was, um, I was pitching the novel as a television show uh, this summer, and uh, I was able to uh, set it up at Showtime, um, not, not to get it on the air, but you know to develop it. <coughs> and uh, as we were pitching it, and this was during the lockdown of the summer, uh, it is a story that I'd written the year before, so you know, long before COVID was probably in existence in the humans. It's about a a guy who takes his family out of society into the middle of the desert and kind of raises a the compound there, away from away from the world, you know, away from the modern world. He he raises them kind of uh, in the uh, biblically, like in the in, in by the laws of the Old Testament and the Mormon Bible. And um, that took on a totally different light once COVID hit, which, you know, all of a sudden, you know, my agents were kind of teeing up this book, this show, as a response to COVID, you know, when in fact it's not at all a response to COVID, but I think the the desire to run away, to to, to make a utopia. To, to get away from the contamination either of brain viruses or real viruses is, uh, is probably as almost as old as the, the writings of the Book of Eden itself, you know.
0: It's a, it's a really interesting uh, premise for a story too. I mean, you've made the, the, the character Mormon which does give this story an opportunity uh, to have the conflict, I guess, because there he is trying to raise this family, which of course is multiple wives and everything, and, and gets faced with an outsider. Uh, again, I'm, I'm only um, well, that's true. Seeing what I've read from uh, <laughs> the press sheet so far, so well,
1: well that's true because you know it's uh, I. It, it's a weird conversation to have, but you know clearly it's illegal to have multiple wives in this country. It's against the law, but if you look at Mormon history or or Mormon founding, then then it was more like the law that you should. And it's these questions of, and and I think modern day Mormons have different feelings about it, but uh, it's a question of what what is custom, what is customary and the difference between what is customary and what is right, what is customary and what is moral, what is customary and what is ethical, changes very drastically from civilization to civilization from century to century. And that's kind of what the book is about as well is kind of step back and look at my own relativism in a way. And what's my true morality aside from my knee jerk response to certain things that I'm seeing that, and what's really coming from me as a a human being when I watch something and I have this feeling, isn't that my morality that my empathy coming out or my outrage or my being appalled isn't that like my natural reality? And shouldn't I somehow honor that rather than some customs that have come up in the last hundred years, two hundred years, five hundred years, whatever, different clothes? So that's kind of what it's about.
0: Do you find that you that you figure that part out as the story progresses? Or do you go into the story trying to solve that riddle within yourself and then coming up with a plot that, you know, gives it the vehicle?
1: It's a really good question because it's it's all it's like a knot that, that I couldn't untie for you. Uh, I have, um, I had no kind of overarching uh, interest in, in Mormonism aside from the fact that it is really the only religion that's in Christianity that's grown up on American soil, right? So it's like, the, it's quintessentially American, you could say. Um, and then they had some precepts like polygamy and something else called blood atonement, which were very cool in terms of being able to be plot drivers for me. And and that's really where I entered into that world, wanting to take those things out of it and use them in a story. And then of course I got kind of wrapped up in so many other things, but that was the the original, my original movement towards, okay, I got to learn about Mormonism and I got to learn about all these things because I want to hang a story that has to do with certain kind of customs that Mormons have developed over the years since Joseph Smith. So um, it's all kind of like, it's like, it just goes back, it kind of circles back on itself. And uh, so I didn't know, no, I didn't know any of those things. I didn't, just like I didn't know I was writing a response to COVID before COVID happened, you know? Right,
0: right. Well, this all comes in the middle of, I guess, your acting career, too, because it's yeah. been a few years and yeah. you kind of I guess you you actually did put the stop on it. You say, I'm going to stop this right now so right. I can work on the music so I can work on the books and everything. Right. But we now have your first role in, I guess, three years. And that's with The Craft Legacy. Yeah. 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 What was it like stepping away? First off, I mean, I know that's the easy question. What was it like stepping away for three years and actually being able to go not right now?
1: Well, I mean, I I have to say that I, in those three years I, I had done, I tried a couple times to set up uh, movies and television shows uh, that got really close and then didn't happen. And I took up, so I was like working towards, uh, for instance, uh, uh, to make a movie of, of the novel Bucky fucking Dent, you know, and I, I think I probably would have shot it uh, this summer if not for COVID. And so... And I was constantly getting close with that, so I was kind of always like just about to do something, and then it didn't happen. And uh, so I wish I could say that A, it was all my idea, and B, I didn't spend any time on it. You know, it took it, it takes almost more work to not get shit done than it takes to get shit done. honestly. <laughs> so uh, I was busy trying to do a couple of different things with 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 creators and artists that I really love, you know, and uh, just just uh, just would get this closer. But having said that, you know, after like a year and a half of that, I probably thought I should take a year off. But then like after a year and a half of that, I was like, oh, that's been a while. Now I started getting nervous. Like, oh, I should get out there. Or what am I what's it going to be like for me to act, act you know, because I I'd, I'd not gone I did a lot of acting. I mean, I may not do that many different jobs because I've done some television, a lot of television, television, but
0: a lot of acting.
1: I'm used to it. I'm used to like acting a lot. So that was kind of cool to go back. Uh, I would say for two years, it probably been two years since I acted when I, when I did the craft. And that was, I was nervous. I was nervous going back. I was like, ah, you know, not, not so much. Do I know how to do this? we more like, how do I want to do this now that I've had this like moment to like step back and go, yeah, I can do these other things that I like doing and, and what is my what is my approach now? You know, can I do it in a in a way that's less kind of self-seeking? Or can I just can I have can it be better now that it's part of three things that I do rather than you know, it's like that or whatever? Mm-hmm. Or have I have I forgotten how to memorize lines? You know, there's, there's a lot of r- weird questions that first day. For me, that went away very quickly. But um, I guess the good news for me was that I realized that I, I really enjoy it. You know, I really enjoyed I enjoyed working on the film. I enjoyed acting.
0: Not intended luxury. Yeah. Do you um w- w- with something like this that that has a history? The craft being a movie that existed in the '90s and now you know a sequel of sorts in a way, or, or a further story, whatever you want to call that. As an actor, do you treat that differently if something has a legacy? Upon intended with the title there yeah and if it was an original story well i guess
1: i was lucky enough to know that my character in this movie did not exist in the previous one so uh, to be honest with you I did, i'd never seen the original and i and i still haven't i, I never saw it i've never seen it um, and in fact somebody asked me you know what's your favorite line in the movie and i said uh I really like that line, you know, we are the weirdos. And they were like, well, that's from the original. I was like, oh, well, I knew that. <laughs> of course. Yeah.
0: It's got a great soundtrack, the original one. I could say <laughs> yeah. that, you know, as I'm flanked by a couple of uh, soundtracks yeah. that you've been a part yeah. of. It's a-
1: <laughs> I, uh, Zoe lister Jones, who I think did a great job with the movie, is a big music lover. Anyway, so she's loves, loves music. And um, I'm sure the soundtrack uh, for this and whatever ensuing soundtracks come out of this are going to be great. No,
0: it's 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 got a good legacy to to go with there the soundtracks, I, you know, and and I'll wrap it up on this too because the one thing I notice about the craft legacy is that, you know, it does speak to a new generation, and I'll I'll just go ahead and you know, uh, mm-hmm. see the the Gen Z uh, side of things, and as I look back on your career, not everybody has this as a part of it, but I thought you were sort of talking about a lot of this really early in your career and a lot of your roles, you know, you you played. Uh, you had a transgender role in the early years. Uh, really? I feel like even, you know, Red Shoe Diaries to a point, you know, is yeah. <laughs> doing yeah. a little bit of that in a diff- very different way, but yeah. I don't know. Did, do you find that you're able to connect to it in that sense, easier than, you know, other folks have
1: been? I, I, think, I, I think I have a real um, appreciation uh, for, for like a transgressive point of view or a subversive point of view. So even something like Red Shoe Diaries, it's subversive in a way. Uh, I, I can't tell you how. I'd have to really go back and look at it. Again. Sure, sure. Certainly, X Files is subversive, even though it's a mainstream, you know, network television. Uh, Californication, in a way, I think, is subversive. Uh, you go back to uh, Twin Peaks, and I don't think she's uh, transgender. I think I think Denise Bryson is, is a transvestite. I, I, I could be wrong. It's been a long time. But yeah. it was very interesting doing that role again in 2017, I think is when I did it, and reading some stuff about how, okay, he's allowed to do it because he did it before, but if we were casting that role now, we'd have to cast it this certain way. That was interesting. Uh, so I think I think I just, you know, I just respond to kind of outsiders in a way, um, even though you know, right now I'm the ultimate insider being, you know, male, white, my age, uh, you know, but uh, that's just the way I'm drawn. Like Jessica Rabbit, you know, an insider. I feel transgressive.
0: Well, I'll even bring up, you know, the the great moments on the Gary Shanling show. I mean, right. here you are saying, no, I'm not gay, but I wish I was because, <laughs> I think that's yeah. your actual line there because-
1: you know. I kind of spawned a million uh, bromance jokes in a way. That was kind of maybe the first one of the first times that kind of a thing. Yeah, and that, yeah, I would say that's, yeah, I I would be comfortable like walking into that area and trying to act in it and trying to figure out what it is. yeah.
0: Well, David, I I certainly do love what you do with everything and I'll bring up uh, the the most recent stuff. The Craft Legacy is out, truly like lightning February of 2021 and Gestureland at some point. Thank you so much for talking about all this today. It's been so much fun and a real pleasure.
1: My pleasure, too. Thank you.
0: And my thanks again to David Duchovny. The new album is called Gestureland. Thanks to you as well for uh, checking out the episode. Hit that subscribe button iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. Again, I'll send you three brand new episodes every single week and do one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to keep you up to date on your favorite artists, discover some new ones, and know what's happening in the music world. Then after that, head over to wfpk.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. Again, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at wfpk.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, including Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all three of them at Kyle Meredith. I do hope you like and uh, follow along. That does it for another edition of Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network.
1: I I warned you not to microwave it, right? (laughs) It's real metal. My fingers will tell you.
0: It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at wfpk.org from Louisville Public Media.